and uh, today I'm going to be wrapping that up. And the reason I'm preaching about prayer is we're getting ready to launch weekly prayer meetings on Monday night. Uh, every Monday night, starting August 5th, next Monday, we're going to be having prayer every Monday night. There'll be an opportunity for prayer. And so I want to challenge you, make it part of your Monday to come by the church sometime between 6 and 8 p.m. You don't have to make it a full two hours. You don't even have to make it a full hour, but just make it a priority to come and be part of the body of Christ in prayer. And uh, prayer as a church family is very, very important because God takes action when we pray. Last week I talked about all of the different revivals and some in scripture, some in history that we know of, started in prayer and took place and happened because of prayer. And 2 Chronicles 7.14, you may know this scripture well. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen because it's not really part of my sermon. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God takes action when we pray. That's the key point of that scripture. God takes action when we humble ourselves and pray. So last Sunday was such a good move of the Spirit of God, and I'm excited about today. We had great church, and I know today we're going to have a great service again. I have no doubt that God is going to speak to someone here today, and I want to preach under this title, God's Delight. God's Delight. And God's delight is in your voice. His delight is in your voice. We're going to go to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. And uh, we'll read it together, if you're okay with that. It'll be on the screen. We'll be reading in the New King James Version. We're going to read it together. Uh, the fig tree puts forth her green figs, the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And I want to focus on that last little portion of what Solomon wrote. He said, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Look at the person next to you, and without flirting, just tell them, your face is sweet and your voice is lovely. <laughs> the book of the Song of Solomon, uh, which is really a book you don't hear too much preaching out of, not very often. Uh, pastors kind of stay away from it a little bit. Uh, what the book of the Song of Solomon is, it's a series of six poems or songs written by Solomon. And each one is written by Solomon just as he's a brand new king. And they're written specifically to a woman, a Shulamite woman. And in his lifetime, we know that Solomon had over 700 wives and concubines, and he picked out one that he wrote this, these series of songs and poems to. 
And you might think, you know, having 700 wives and concubines, there's kind of an incongruence here. But theologians believe that the Shulamite woman was his first wife, was not a wife of his as a king, but instead was his wife before he became king, and he married her early in life. And the Shulamite woman is described as a common girl from the countryside. She was not uh, a queen. She was not a princess. She was not uh, one of these marriages to bring kingdoms together. But she was just a common country girl, Shulamite woman. She was beautiful, and Solomon was deeply and emotionally committed to her. And you can see all of that in the writings of these six songs. Now, the book itself serves two purposes for us and is one of the reasons it's canonized. If you've ever wondered, it just seems out of place, why is it here? Whenever you've read through it, maybe in your yearly reading, the reason is for this. First, it's the Spirit-inspired writing so that you and I may know that God is the one who designed the marriage relationship, even with all of its uh, struggles and frailties, God designed the marriage relationship as a pure source of human love and joy. Now, sin has taken that concept and that idea and has corrupted it. People fall into two sides of most extremes. There's the one side, which is to reject marriage and to only embrace the pleasures that are supposed to be enjoyed within marriage but totally reject the commitment of the marriage. And then the other extreme is to look at marriage as being only a commitment and to see all of the pleasures that marriage could bring in human pleasure to people as being something that is wrong. And God did not design marriage or our human sexuality in that way. Instead, he designed it to be something that within a contract, a commitment, there would be joy and pleasure and fulfillment for people in their lives. Now, I'm not saying you get your human fulfillment from that. I mean, you get human fulfillment from that, but you don't get your ultimate fulfillment from that. Your ultimate fulfillment is from God. And so that brings us to the second thing. The second is this. It is a spiritually inspired reflection of God's love and affection toward what will be His bride, the church. In other words, it's a reflection of how he feels about you and I, his deeply emotional tie to us. And it's with this second understanding that I want to go back and I want us to read again the words that Solomon wrote in Solomon, Song of Solomon 2, 13 through 14. It says, the fig tree puts forth her green figs, the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And so what we have in this reflection is the Lord calling to his bride and saying, Rise up, come away with me. Let's go to a secret place. Let's hide ourselves away. Let's get away from the crowds and the routines of life and get a break in all that is happening. 
let's find this secret place. And in this secret place, I, I want you to let me see your face. I want you to let me hear your voice. I want to spend some intimate time with you. And he says, your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now imagine that this is a picture of how God sees the church, how he feels about us whenever we go into holy communion with him. Whenever we set aside a time of prayer and meet with God. He delights to hear the voices of his people lifted up in prayer. He says, let me hear your voice. Let me see your face. When you are praying and you start to ask for help, uh, God is not sitting there and thinking, oh no, here comes their request list again. Oh no, they need something else from me. Oh no, all they want is their selfish desires. That's not what God is thinking. Instead, God takes delight in hearing your voice and seeing your face. He takes delight in that time spent with you. He delights just in hearing your pleas and hearing your call for Him to work on your behalf. He takes joy in seeing your face. So God is not this God that is waiting and you start to praise and worship Him. And then whenever you say, God, I need help in this, He says, oh no, here it comes. That's not what God is doing. God is just excited that you're there. He is ready to have this communion with you. He is joyfully waiting for you to meet Him with prayer. And He's not just waiting every once in a while, but He is waiting every day. Let God hear your voice whenever you wake up in the morning. Cry out to Him and let those prayers be heard. He delights in hearing your voice. If you learn to pray, And you get a desire to spend that precious time with the Lord. Sometimes it can be a long time. Sometimes it can be just a little bit of time. But if you get a desire to spend that time with the Lord, there is nothing that cannot happen. It may not be able to happen with men. But with God, anything is possible. With God, anything can happen. And if I can, as a pastor, stir you to pray... It is the highest ministry that can be done in the church. We are all called to prayer. There is no higher calling than to spend time with the Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. He said, therefore I exhort, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself for a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray 
everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Notice what he says. First of all, prayer. And he ends this concourse with saying, I desire that men everywhere pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, has made it so that you can easily enter into the throne room of God and you can lift up your voice. So I desire that men and women everywhere would give themselves wholly to prayer. First of all, prayer. He goes on to say, why? Because it is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is powerful. And prayer is the most important thing you will do this week. There's nothing else that is more important than prayer. Yes, I want you to serve in ministry in the church. I want you to serve and do what you can. This church would not exist without people who sacrifice time and energy to serve. But the most important thing is always going to be prayer. Yes, I want you to make the commitment to pay tithe and give offerings. It's biblical and God blesses those who do. But uh, we couldn't operate without that kind of commitment here. But the truth is, first of all, prayer. If you pray this week, you've done more than you could do any other week. It is the highest calling of ministry. And all of us are called to prayer. You don't have to have talent. You don't have to have skill. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have scripture memorized. All you have to do is open your mouth and lift up your voice. And he is waiting, delighting to hear your voice in prayer. I want you to fast. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to study the Bible. I want you to be a disciple. I want you to achieve everything that God is calling you to achieve. I want you to be an evangelist. I want you to invite someone to service this week if you notice the cards on the seats that we forgot to mention. I want you to do all of that, but but I, I more than anything else, if you can just pray, because prayer can make us giants before the Lord. It is the most important thing that you will do. And I want you to understand that there are two types of prayer. There are those current prayers, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I talked about that last week. These are the prayers that are right now prayers. They're the prayers that you and I pray and God moves. It was the right timing, it was perfect, it was in the right place and order, and God moved. But there's another type of prayer that sometimes we overlook and we forget about. It's a less popular prayer. And I'll tell you why. Because sometimes it takes patience. But that kind of prayer is what we refer to as memorial prayers. They're prayers that are built up over time. And when you're building a memorial, what it takes is every day coming and you add a new level to that prayer. It's like the the sculptor who is coming, and he, he doesn't get the work done in one day. He's working on a memorial. And he takes time, and he chips away at a piece and, and, and steps back and takes a look at it. And he walks over again, and he chips away another piece. 
If you go and you look at the memorials that are in Washington, D.C., I can guarantee you those were not built in one day. Memorials don't happen in one prayer, but memorials are built up over time. And whenever you come every day bringing that same prayer to the Lord and saying, Lord, save my family. Lord, save my children. Lord, save my neighbor. Lord, save my loved ones. And you bring those prayers to the Lord. And it seems like God is not moving yet. It doesn't seem like God is doing anything. I want you to understand what you're doing. You're building a memorial before the Lord. And eventually that memorial is going to get God's attention. And when it gets God's attention, God is going to move on your behalf because God works between the will of man and the will of God. He works in between the will of man, which is to reject God, and the will of God, which is to save all of humanity. That's where God works. And whenever you're praying these memorial prayers, you're laying it up, a foundation that's going to stand before God for eternity. It will stand before God before eternity. And you have to have confidence In those prayers. You have to have confidence whenever it doesn't seem like God is moving. It doesn't seem like God is doing anything. You have to have confidence in that prayer that you prayed. I remember hearing the story of Mother Freeman in Louisiana many, many decades ago. She prayed for her son. He was lost. He was grievously lost. Just a, he was lost. She feared for him. She feared that he would die in his lostness and he would go to hell. And so she prayed. Every day, Mother Freeman prayed. One day in prayer, she felt God press upon her that her son would be saved before he died. Well, over time, time went on. Her son got wrapped up and sent off to war and went missing in that war. And the, the military said, well, he must be dead on the battlefield. He must be buried somewhere in a foxhole. We can't find his body. We don't know where he's at. And the military sent her all of his belongings and some medals and sent a letter with that stuff expressing their sympathies. And she sent that back. She took all of it. She looked it over and she wrapped it back up. And she sent it back with a letter. And in the letter she wrote that God had told her that her son would be saved before he died. So there was no way that he was dead. Well, they thought she's just having a hard time grieving. And so they took it and they sent it back to her, another letter. And again, she took that letter and she took those things and she sent them back. And in this letter, she told them, you just keep them until my son returns. And it was years And years that went by. And it was one night, one of these southern hot nights where the family was gathered together, enjoying a meal and having a good time, that a stranger with long hair and bushy beard walked in to the doorway. No one recognized the man except for Mother Freeman. Immediately, she grabbed her son and she said, I've been waiting on you. God saved him from war and saved his soul. All because a memorial of prayer was established in his life. She had confidence in those prayers. And the God that she prayed to who said he was going to answer those prayers. The angel of Cornelius that appeared to him, he came with one message. 
He said, your prayers and alms have come up as what? A memorial before God. Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. I want to tell someone today, don't stop praying that prayer. Don't stop whispering that prayer. Don't stop pleading God over that prayer. You keep praying that prayer. It may not seem like God has answered yet. It may not seem like there's movement, but you keep laying down a foundation of a memorial. You keep putting another level of prayer on it. And one day, God's going to see that memorial and He's going to move. Not every prayer is going to be answered just like that. Sometimes it takes building a memorial before God. But when He sees the memorial, He's going to move. come to understand that walking with the Lord choice I made years ago is no simple choice matter of fact if I can just express it the best way ever a friend of mine who's a who's a pastor he had a peer asking said man when did it click for you and you made a decision you were going to serve God and you never went back to drugs you never went back to party lifestyle you didn't go back to doing the things you were doing before my friend kind of sat and thought for a minute and he looked at him and he said every morning every morning I make that decision it's not a choice just made one time it's a lifetime of choices and it's no simple thing to walk with the Lord because we're attacked by a spiritual enemy on all sides we're set at odds with the world and with the culture that we are forced to live in There are constant tests and trials of our faith. But to walk with the Lord rightly, I understand we have to have faith. The Bible talks a lot about faith. And what I've found is our faith has to be strengthened. And what I've studied in Scripture is that there are only three ways that a person can have their faith increased in God. The first is by hearing the Word of God. Whether it's in reading the Word or it's hearing God speak to you in a voice. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The second way that's not near as popular with us is by trials. It's by walking through trials. James 1, 2, and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You see, walking through a trial brings some strength to your faith because whenever you get back and you look over the mountain you've just climbed or you look through the valley that you just walked through or you look through the storm that you just survived, you look at it and you say, I don't know how, but what I do know is God brought me through. God brought me over. God brought me all the way around. God did a work in my life. And whenever you see that same storm again or you're facing that same mountain you look at it differently and you say you know I found myself here before and I know the Lord's not going to leave me I know the Lord's going to help me overcome this is just a temporary trial we don't like those how many will you agree with me I wish it was all easy but it's, it's not the third way is by prayer prayer Jude 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit does something. When you tap into praying in the Holy Spirit, 
you get to that deep place that the Lord is calling us all to come away to the secret place to be with Him and you lose consciousness of time and you're just in the presence of the Almighty and you're praying in the Holy Spirit and nothing else in this world matters. You're building yourself up in your faith and you're going to walk another day standing on faith. There's something that happens in that kind of prayer. And so I want you to understand today, if you don't understand anything else whenever you leave, His attitude toward your prayer is one of delight. Nothing pleases him more than when you lift up your voice in prayer to him. The second thing is that prayer is a memorial. And whenever you pray, you're building up your faith before the Lord. Prayer will save the people that you love. Prayer will change your household. Prayer will change your life. Prayer will change things in the physical, even though you're laying it up in the spiritual. Something happens happens when his people pray. In Genesis 18, God intends to destroy Sodom for their wickedness and for their gross sin. He's already determined that they're going to be judged. Judgment is going to happen. And so he sends his servants down to Abraham. And while the servants are there and they begin to leave the presence of Abraham and Sarah after confirming God's promise to them. In verse 17, the Lord says this. He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Should I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Verse 19, he says, for I've known him. I've known him. I've got a relationship with this man. Should I keep this secret to myself? Or should I let Abraham in on what's about to happen? I've known him. And in order that he may command his children, his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Should I hide it from him, this man that I've promised so much to? Should I conceal what I'm about to do because I know him, I know his heart, and I know the way that he's raising his household, and I know that he has a heart for me? Should I conceal uh, from him what I'm about to do? God knows, owes no man anything. He definitely doesn't owe Abraham any design on his plans. God can do what he wants to do when he desires to do it. But instead, what we see here is we see a God that wants to share his heart with his servant. And God wants to share his heart with you. He wants to show you what he has planned. He wants to let you in on his secrets. He wants to share with all of his servants what he intends to do. And so God wants someone that he can trust with what he is about to do. And he chooses those people that he knows and has communed with him. It's those kind of people that God lets in on the secrets that are the heart of God. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to down, I'm going to go down to Sodom. And I'm going to see for myself if their sin is as great as what the cry of the city I hear it is. He says, I'm going to judge them. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for all. Judgment is going to happen. But Abraham, upon hearing this, that judgment is already cast, that it's going to happen, Scripture says 
in Genesis 18.23, Abraham came near. Abraham came near. He got close to God. There are some things, whenever you pray, you have to have already built the relationship with him that you easily approach. Abraham came near and he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Understand, judgment is coming. God is going to judge. His righteousness demands that there be judgment. But there's a person who can draw near and pray the prayer that needs to be prayed that will save someone from that judgment. In this story, Abraham was that person. He drew near to God and he prayed and he saved Lot and Lot's family. I want to ask you, who do you need to draw near to the Lord for? Because God's giving you a unique position that you can intermediate between Him and those people. That you can stand in the gap just as Abraham stood in the gap. And your family needs those prayers. Your friends that you come in contact with that you love so much, they need those prayers. The family on the block whose world is being shaken with tragedy, they need those prayers. And only you have the ability to lift up your voice and pray those prayers. Only you are in the place where you can draw near to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you're going to do this, but, but I'm wondering, what about all those righteous people? What about those people that they really hunger and thirst after you? What about those people that they really have a desire to be in relationship with you and they desire to be right? What about those people? Abraham saves Lot and his whole family from judgment. Why? Because he had a relationship. Relationship. God is not trying to separate himself from us. God is never trying to keep you at bay. Instead, God is clearly saying, like in his word, come up and see me. Your face is lovely to me. Your voice, I, I want to hear that sweet, sweet voice when you pray. And whenever you do, I've got some things I'm going to do. I've got some promises I'm going to fulfill. I've got some family members I'm going to save. I've got some loved ones that, that I'm going to do a work in their heart and in their life. I'm going to be the one that's going to resolve all of these things. The memorial prayer that you've been praying over and over, I'm going to see that memorial come up before my eyes and I'm going to move on your behalf. God does something when we pray. If you'll stand with me. Our prayers are not futile. I'll tell you what's futile. It's posting a social media post saying we're, we're praying and not praying. It's, it's walking by that person who tells you that they're going through something and they need prayer and you say, well, I'll be praying. But you don't pray. How many of us will admit we've, we've done that? I've been guilty. I've been guilty. 
but I'm starting to understand something in my relationship with God. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, three hours. But if I will just pray, God is ready for that time. He'll be waiting and he'll be excited and he'll want, he wants me to pray. He wants to hear my voice. He wants to see my face. Even whenever I come to him and I've messed up and I had a bad attitude and I've got to repent for my attitude and maybe I've thought some things that I clearly should not have thought and I have to repent of that, God's still wanting to see me. He still wants me to come. He wants me to pray. He wants to spend time with me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how amazing is it that we we have a God that manifests himself in flesh and he took on every sin in the world, every sin. The sins that we think are the worst sins in the world. He put that on himself. Took it to a cross. And he experienced it. He lived sinless. He lived sinless. Sinless. He was tempted in all points, even as we are. And it doesn't matter what you were tempted with, he felt that temptation. Even the things we don't think about being temptations, he was tempted with. And he lived sinless. And right at the end, he clothed himself and put on your sin and my sin. He became the scapegoat. He became the lamb. He became the one that died. The sinless man died a sinner. The sinless man died a sinner so that you and I could be free and so that we could go boldly into the throne room and so that we could lift up our voice. You think he doesn't want to see you? You think he doesn't want to hear your voice? Pray those prayers. He can't wait for those prayers. And he can't wait for the appointed time that whenever those prayers have rolled over through time. He's not affected by time. Think about that. The miracle you're praying for right now, he's already done. It's done in the future. But he's already completed. He's completed the beginning to the end. It's already settled. So the miracle you've been praying for and you've been waiting on, it's already done. It's just you haven't got to it yet. And so he's sitting there waiting for you to... I'm going to use one more analogy. I'm going to call us all to prayer. I remember when Wyatt was just a kid, little, probably about Elsie's age, maybe three or four years old. We were in a church in Louisiana doing a, doing a revival weekend, a week, and it just so happened to fall on Easter, and they were doing a little Easter egg hunt. And they had all these Easter eggs out there. And you know, with little, little kids, you pretty much hide them in the open. But I can kind of remember being out there with Wyatt. It's my first kid. He's hunting for this basket, the Easter egg, put Easter eggs in, and they had certain ones that had candy and others had something else and they were denoted by color. And I can remember, you know, the parents went out and we set all the Easter eggs out in the field and then you let all these kids go. 
and every parent, including myself, go, go get them eggs. Go get them eggs. You're close. You're close. Get this way. You're close. And you watch all those parents and they're like, it's right there in front of you. Just step to the left. Oh, there's three. They don't know what left is. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Imagine God in heaven. Prayers you've been praying. He's delighted to see you pray. You come in and you pray that one prayer one more time. He's, he's not saying, oh, I wish they'd quit asking me for this. I wish they'd quit praying for this. He's saying, just wait a little bit. There's the Easter egg, not an Easter egg, a miracle. There's an answer. It's coming. Just, just keep going. That's okay. One more day. It's, it's a week away now. That's the delight God has. I feel the spirit of the Lord here right now. That is the delight that he has toward you to see your face, to hear your voice. Whenever you come and you pray before him, he delights. He delights. I wonder if we could join together in prayer right now. There's some of us, we've been laying memorial prayers before the Lord. I need to pray one more time. There's some of us that we, we felt like you know, we're not sure if the Lord is open to us or rejecting us or wants to hear that prayer again. I, I want to tell you, He delights. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your voice today. You pray. Pray. If we could, let's turn this whole place just into an altar. You may feel comfortable kneeling where you're at in your seat. You may want to come and move to the front and stand before the Lord with lifted hands and just pray. But I want to invite you to pray. The Lord is delighting to hear that prayer. He's in anticipation right now. He's probably saying, Pastor, just shut up and let them pray. My wife's going to begin to sing. Let's begin to pray. God, you see every heart here. You come.